are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama, Tuesday edition of the show. Hope everybody's had a solid start to their work week as we get to our second show of our work weeks. Lance, how are you doing today? Doing great, Noah. How are you doing? Doing really well. We've got an absolutely jam-packed show for everybody today. Guest interview coming up at 2.30. We've got Justin Ferguson, as we do every Tuesday, here from the Auburn Observer. Once again, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us at 2.30 p.m. We'll start off hour number two with our Making Headlines segment, as well as in hour number two, we will give our final predictions for the SEC in 2021, as in we will give you our predicted order of finish, the standings, as we are wrapping up game-by-game predictions in our preseason magazines and whatnot. And we're going to give you our final thoughts on the SEC as after this Saturday, you're a week away. And college football starts this Saturday with Week Zero. Yeah, and I'm really thankful that we're doing this today because had you not forced me to do it, I probably would not have finished it. I predicted the uh, the West. I put out an article on AuburnWire.com giving my my predictions for the SEC West. Would probably have never gotten around to the East. And normally every year I do most of the Power Five conferences. So yeah, I'm really excited that we get to break this down today. And it's so hard to break it down game by game because college football never really shakes out how you thought teams were better than how you thought team a was better than team b before the preseason just because you think that that's true when they step out there on the football field sometimes the team has an off day and whatnot and it really shakes up your preseason prediction so sometimes it maybe is better to just throw a generic record on it but we predicted them game by game and we'll give you our standings prediction coming up in hour number two but we're going to start off hour number one today with the news of the day the alliance announced between the acc big 10 and pac 12 and there's a lot to sort through here but what did we learn today lance well i learned that the sec is superior and will never be matched uh because just reading through some of the articles that were put out today it's just kind of like it's not necessarily pathetic but i i feel bad as as an sec guy i feel bad they're talking about uh, n- not necessarily realignment among the three conferences, but in terms of like blocking the SEC from like doing what they want to do in the future. They're just trying to form an alliance and a pact to kind of make sure that they can kind of hold their footing in the college football world right now and kind of keep their ground. And it, it sounds it, the, the, the terminology and the phrases being thrown around just sounds a little silly. Um, but it seems like they're just kind of talking about, you know, mixing schedules and stuff like that and non-conference games against one another and and reworking TV deals and stuff like that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens with it to see if the SEC is able to, I guess, hold its own, which I believe they will. But yeah, a lot of stuff to unpack in terms of what this alliance could potentially mean for the future of college football. A potential concern for me was answered today, and I'm looking at an ESPN article about it, 
titled ACC Big Ten Pac-12 Alliance to focus on collaborative approach. There's some good information there written by Adam Rittenberg. And the potential concern that I had was that they were going to box out the SEC with this scheduling alliance or, or what had been rumored over the last few days was that they were pretty much only going to schedule each other. And I was reading a Yahoo Sports article the other day suggesting that saying that they would maybe rotate a game with a team from each of the other two conferences every year and they would be playing these super loaded schedules with maybe one or two cupcakes thrown in there possibly shifting down in the Big Ten and Pac-12 models from a nine-game schedule to an eight-game schedule play two cupcakes and then playing two teams one from each of the other two conferences in said alliance but it doesn't look like that was presented today in fact what I kind of took away from today was that there won't be an immediate or direct impact on college football at this point that mainly the takeaway from today is that they're basically going to be working together on broader issues there's more stuff to come down the line they want to work together to schedule more games amongst each other but I I don't get the feeling that they're boxing out the SEC from a scheduling approach after today yeah I don't think they are either uh, in terms of you which know, would be a bad idea on their part I think yeah especially if how would how would that work in terms of just regular season games and then after that postseason you get to play with everybody like collectively they're just well for your non-conference opponents basically there and there used to right. be an agreement and this fell apart on the Pac-12's end but there was an agreement back in the early 2010s 2012 yeah between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and it fell apart on the Pac-12 side of things where they were trying to organize more non-conference games between Pac-12 and Big Ten opponents to create marquee matchups more money for TV revenue and whatnot and that ended up falling apart but the idea is to create more marquee matchups in the regular season not separating themselves from the rest of college football but basically have an agreement hey we're going to schedule each other and try and increase and maximize our TV revenue, which is not a bad idea, but I do think it would be a bad idea to completely rule out playing any SEC schools because those two bring with it a lot of clout and a lot of revenue. I was just about to say in terms of boxing out the SEC, I wouldn't want to do that considering I I, I would say if we're playing in a a really big non-conference game at the beginning of the season or something like that, you know, the, the revenue coming from that game is probably going to be a lot more than you playing some cupcake from your interconference alliance, right? It, it, it would not be a wise idea to exclude the SEC from that because there's a lot of money, like you said, a lot of clout, a lot of attention coming with playing an SEC school. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like what they're doing simply because I'm an SEC guy. I'm, I don't think it's a threat to the Southeastern Conference in any way, shape, or form. I just don't want to see college football turn into this arms race because it feels like it's the, already SEC, happening. the SEC has had a grip on college football for the past 15, 20 years, and it just seems like it's just this is making it official that the SEC has a grasp on college football and – the, the other conferences are, are now out in the open trying to, to gain traction and trying to keep up with the SEC. Um, like you said, it's already happening. I don't want it to happen, I w- but the game is, has rapidly changed in, over the course of the last two years. Well, we all knew that these conferences had to do something. They absolutely had to. The SEC was advancing rapidly and was increasing in power 
in decision making when they added Texas and Oklahoma, two of the most historic institutions in college football. They had to do something. They had to find a way at risk of being thrown out of the negotiating table or losing a significant a significant losing significant ground in terms of negotiations when it comes to the expansion of the college football playoff their role in that their 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 team's roles in that and and they're just trying to guarantee for themselves an equal spot at the table and equal opportunity at winning a national championship I don't think this is a bad idea for them to work together from a political standpoint I don't think this is a bad idea if you are having to vote and the SEC is operating has been operating so far as a unified force has been bringing teams into it has been dominating the landscape of college football from a revenue from an interest from a even results standpoint it is the best conference in collegiate athletics if you're getting beat by that at some point like they've grown to this this power that all of the other conferences individually if they continue to act in their own individual interest they won't be able to overtake the sec this group i actually do think in terms of voting power for if they can actually truly stay aligned and unite their interest i do think that they would have an opportunity to curb some of the sec's influence in collegiate athletics yeah and it's also interesting uh it's two things number one it's no longer going to be a power five here in just a couple of years i saw a report from sds just a couple of days ago that said texas and oklahoma were trying to move to the sec as as early as next season i don't know if that's true don't know if that's accurate I, i i i do expect them to start making their way towards the sec maybe earlier than 2025 i think that's a possibility a lot of different people have talked about that but there will no longer be a power five it's going to be interesting to see how college football splits it it splits up and it's not going to be the normal power behind everything that's kind of over overseen everything in the past at the ncaa right now where are they what are they doing like all of these conferences have become self-aware and they're doing their own thing now they're making their own moves and the ncaa is just sitting in the background like we're going to renegotiate our constitution and we're going to do all these things and nobody's paying attention to it the ncaa like you and i talked about earlier in this summer noah is dead like it, it, it's it's di- it's either dying or it's already dead like it's gone and all of these power conferences are making their own moves again it's not going to be a power five anymore i don't believe because the big 12 is going to cease to exist most likely um so it's just going to be interesting to see how everything schedules out we had a caller call in i believe it was on friday it might have been on yesterday's show talking about how it'd be really interesting to see uh, college football, at least Division One college football, moved to a like a 64-team type model, like or just a bigger NFL, and split it up by region and then play everything like that. I can see a world where, that, where that's a possibility. There's a lot of different ways to speculate how the future could pan out. All that to say, again, there's just a lot of change going on. That's certain. There's a lot of change, and there will continue to be change. And this was just, I didn't expect anything major to be dropped out today, especially from these three conferences, because the only conference of this group that has actually been somewhat proactive in collegiate athletics is the ACC. The other two weren't even trying to play football last year. And if it wasn't for the ACC, Big 12, and the SEC, we wouldn't be playing football. We wouldn't have played football last year. And I think basketball would have been in serious jeopardy as well. But to have to have had those three conferences stand their ground that is what i think saved collegiate athletics last year from really falling apart so the acc is the only one that's extremely proactive considering the pac-12 and the big 10 
largely haven't been, in my opinion, super forward thinkers and haven't been at the forefront of of the NCAA and of collegiate athletics and being one of those mover movers and shakers they've typically been reactors and it's interesting to see the ACC thrown into that group here as well as a as more of a reactive conference of them at this point but then again you look at what the SEC has done they are forcing everyone to have to react to what they have pulled with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league right and regardless of whether or not the reports were legitimate or not about the SEC not only reaching out to Texas and Oklahoma but to Clemson Florida State Michigan Ohio State you know teams I guess have kind of not necessarily been left behind in the ACC or the Big Ten or whatever in in those three conferences they have chosen to I guess be left behind because I truly believe I I agree with you I think it is from a political standpoint it is a good move to try and band together and be be able to to vote and make their only hope literally their only choice to make but it feels like the SEC still is going to have a grip on things and 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 something that you mentioned in terms of results and, and revenue I think the SEC is still going to dominate it's not like that's going to go away it's not like fan interest is just going to disappear because these other three conferences have formed an alliance and they're playing each other now that's true I agree with that 100%. And, and I, once again, I don't think the SEC is being boxed out right. from a scheduling standpoint. I think they're still very much so included, but this maybe was a little bit more of a, a warning shot saying, hey, you can't push us around. We want a seat at the table. And when it came down to college football playoff expansion, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten weren't overly included in those discussions. Neither was the ACC. You look at the SEC, Commissioner Greg Sankey, he was at the heart of it, right? Like, the SEC is the driving force in college football. They have been at the forefront of of every single decision and every single major shift in the landscape of college football and then all of the other sports. The SEC has been the driving force. And this is forcing other conferences now to have to react. And this, I think, was a good move for them to announce this alliance. As much as I dislike the way that collegiate athletics are is trending from a political standpoint, I go back to, once again, I don't see how they had any other option. The SEC would just continue to pick them off one by one. Yeah, and then I'll say I'll, I'll also say this. You know, it feels like such an innocent time back at SEC media days when everybody was just hanging out, doing their thing. Oh, the playoff might get expanded. Oh, uh, we're we're potentially we we've, we've got some NIL stuff going on. That's kind of cool. And then Sankey gets up there day one. It's just like the times they are changing. It's like yeah, it's been a wild year and a half. And then you get a couple of days in. It's like oh. We've got two of the best programs in college football moving to our conference within the next five years, and also uh, the, the the landscape's on fire. <laughs> so, like, it's it's uh, it's we we've come a long way over the summer, and it's just a lot to take in. But man, something that we were talking about yesterday—it might have been off air. It's like you know, this may be the busiest off season in the history of college football. It's going to be really hard to top this. And I'm not saying that like I'm trying to jinx it and have like even more things to talk about next season. It's just it's wild where we're at in college football. But with all of this speculation and all these things going on, I think it's 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 not difficult to forget that, hey, we've got college football in like six days, five days. So I'm just really excited about the, the start of the season. And it'll be interesting to follow all these different headlines as the season progresses. I'm not saying that this is boring or that this is not something we should be focusing on or talking about. I'm just just really excited about the college football season starting. Like you mentioned, we've got week zero action. Hawaii, UCLA, Illinois, Nebraska, uh, some fun games coming up this weekend. So I'm just excited to kick it off, man. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk about some stuff going on in the quarterback competition between Cam Newton and Mac Jones, Bill Belichick had something interesting to say earlier today. Also, should the Patriots consider playing 
both of them this upcoming season. We debate that when we come back. You're listening to On the Line. Tuesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter and Instagram as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered once again. That's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Coming up at 2.30, we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us. We're going to ask him about what we just talked about, the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 announcing an alliance earlier today. And one more point that I have about this that I, I, I'm so I'm so shocked to have seen the landscape of college football go as far in this direction as we have since the beginning of last football season when many leagues were announcing that they weren't going to play and the SEC Big 12 and the ACC said we're staying the course and at that time back then I thought that the ACC the SEC and the Big 12 were a lot more closely aligned than the other two leagues were with everybody else at least in terms of ideology and their their philosophy and, and and what was important to those individual leagues and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten said we're not playing and the other three said we are I find it odd and, and I said this in the last segment to a degree it's interesting that the ACC who I feel like aside from the SEC has been at the forefront of collegiate athletics I would say the SEC has been the driving force in collegiate athletics but the ACC has not been too far behind they've been in the backseat Right. And they've at least been in the car. I don't think that they have been I don't think that they have been severely lagging behind in in trying to make decisions that help their league. It's just the SEC's that much better. It just means more, man, right? But the Big Ten and the Pac twelve have been largely reactive more than anyone else. And the Big Twelve has been able to fall on the fact that they had Oklahoma and Texas. Everything changed at Media Days when Oklahoma and Texas, when all of those reports broke loose, that they were coming to the SEC. But to see those three conferences unified and they seem to share a lot of the same ideals in their approach to collegiate athletics to have seen that broken apart we don't even know if the big 12 is going to exist moving forward and then the ACC now joins with two leagues that in the past it largely really hasn't worked with it's honestly had to compete closely with the big 10 big 10 poached two of its teams less than a decade ago and then they're on the complete other end of the country the complete other coast from the Pac-12 it's interesting to see the ACC working with those two leagues doesn't really doesn't really fit together and then i'll say this on top of that you're like well the the big twin the big 10 and the uh, the pac-12 seem to be more reactant than anything and it's impressive that they're like trying to band together it's like well this was also a reactive move to the better conference moving first so i i, I would i would say that you know regardless of however this shakes out the big 10 and the pac-12 still are going to be behind the sec in terms of moving the sec is always going to be two steps ahead but i will say i agree with you from a geographical standpoint and from just just the way that that the sport not just college football i'll just say all athlete all collegiate athletics the way that it has moved over the past decade or so it's weird to see the acc banding up with those two conferences 
what happens to the Big 12? I know you said that you think they're going to cease to exist, but do you think that they're all unified in their fight to stay alive? Or do you think eventually one of these other leagues will pick them off and, and there will be one domino to fall? In the past, I have said, if I think that there is a team to leave the Big 12 first, it might be West Virginia considering their geographical location their close proximity to the Atlantic Coast Conference not to mention historical rivalries that they have with teams such as Pittsburgh and Syracuse they have a heavy basketball interest a lot of those a lot of those lines are drawn with ACC teams there and a lot of connections there in their their portion of the country they just don't seem to be a fit for the Big 12 and they never seem to have been a fit but the question is does does that domino ever fall because if not if all of those teams in the big 12 stay unified i think the league can stay afloat if they can get some teams to come yeah i i I think that i think that the big 12 at some point is going to be picked apart because it's not going to be a power five conference and it's not necessarily going to feel like the big 12 if you bring in a houston a boise state or whoever to the whoever to the table i feel like i feel like at the end of the of the day here in the next decade or so or less honestly we're gonna see the big 12 you know different teams get shipped off to different areas uh kansas was was a really big target of the big 10 i don't know if that's still the case but it seems like they'd want to get them in the conference um from from a basketball standpoint like you mentioned west virginia would do really really well and the acc um tcu could move back uh to the whack <laughs> it's like you could just start the whack again um but but yeah i, I don't think that they're going to add teams and they're going to sustain just existing i think they're going to get picked apart sting you've got something to add i was just going to say uh, kind of piggybacking off of you there lance if you thought if the big 12 ceases to exist and they get kind of picked apart is it going to be everybody in that conference kind of goes to a different power conference or a bunch of them shrink like you said tcu maybe going back to the whack just start the whack over again which could be interesting because then i think you kind of see maybe a cool idea could be uh, tech baylor and tcu kind of doing like a new southwest conference maybe and bring some of the texas teams from the american back in but i don't know if there's enough for that now. now that would be fun that would be fun to start that. But why not do that now with the teams that you already have left in your league? I think that like West Virginia is the one team that I do think one day, just me predicting into the future because it, it seems like they have much more in common with ACC teams than they do with Big 12 teams. Even if West Virginia does leave, though, you still have Oklahoma State and Iowa State right now, I believe, to be the drivers in the Big 12 if there weren't to be Oklahoma and Texas in the league. And then you've got Baylor that could have a good season every once in a while. Down, it seems, following a good year, right? But it, it, Texas Tech and Baylor and Oklahoma State and Iowa State, to most people, is not enough to keep a league afloat and right. to really sustain itself. Now, will it be a Power 5 league? No, but it, with those, with the addition of some teams for maybe the American, maybe a Conference USA or a Sunbelt team here and there that are on the high end in those leagues every year, maybe they could put together a league that they're comfortable with, even though it may not be associated with Power right. 5 implications. Because then it circles back, well, is ESPN or Fox or whoever going to pay X amount of dollars for a, for a league with those teams? I, I don't think so. But if it were to break apart, where do you see some of those teams go? Because does Texas Tech sound like a Pac-12 school to you? Not nothing really. Like, but... Nothing like a tumbleweed in the middle of Texas sounds like pacific coast to this guy you know like no baylor doesn't sound very pac 12-esque right it's like now i could see baylor and texas tech and oklahoma state maybe being assimilated into the southeastern conference and maybe you change it to the southern conference or something like that right like i think you could take the best that the southern big 12 teams have to offer 
and move them into the SEC, and that would make the SEC you know, a little bit more interested. Conference? Yeah, that'd be dope. Any of That'd the independents, any of the independents you think could could move into any of the these three conferences, but uh, specifically the Big Twelve. If, no, if teams were to leave, but no. that would be the only one I could possibly yeah. suggest. Like, I don't even believe that one. that would happen. It's just kind of like if you're looking for somebody that checks the boxes. All right, BYU is the only one. Notre Dame to the ACC, though. I think it one day will happen from all this. But let's let's switch gears here. We'll ask Justin Ferguson about all this at two thirty. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up in just a few moments. I want to get back to the NFL here. Bill Belichick said on Tuesday that Mac Jones has a big opportunity in front of him while Cam Newton is out under COVID-19 protocol or a misunderstanding with the COVID-19 protocol. Cam should be back in the facility by Thursday. What does all this mean for the quarterback situation? Because I was watching ESPN earlier today and there was some conversation and discourse about the Patriots that they should be considering playing two quarterbacks and I don't really disagree with that I don't think it's a bad idea either Uh, I think both quarterbacks bring uh, different things to the table and as far as giving him he's got a big opportunity ahead of him you know it's an opportunity to just gain reps gain experience and kind of not necessarily overtake the starting quarterback job but to prove that you belong there and then I think like you said we could see them potentially shift to a two quarterback system because they have two guys that they have confidence in that can do different things that are capable of running an NFL system we look at uh, this is a really bad comparison but we were talking about this just a couple days ago Arkansas State uh with uh with Lane Hatcher and the uh the 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 other quarterback is slipping my mind right now but they would literally run a two-man system where regardless of how the other one was was playing they would go maybe one or two series and then they switch they'd switch out and they'd do very similar things they'd throw short intermediate passes and they would just move the football down the field with Cam Newton and Mac Jones obviously Cam Newton a little bit more of a dual threat you could potentially see uh New England in, in within a series as they get closer to the end zone switch to cam newton or you could potentially just see them switch out depending on the what's going on in the game so i don't think necessarily it's a bad idea and if mac jones is continuing to make that progression as a quarterback and he's talented enough to run the system the way that belichick wants him to go with him honestly honestly like if he's that good i would prefer honestly though to to just ride mac jones out let him start let him play the whole season then if he's that good and that's a fair that's a fair point and the patriots are going to get extra information about mac jones because he's getting to take first team reps really for the first time in all of training camp or at least significant first team reps we're going to take a quick break here we got justin ferguson of the auburn observer when we come back Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes into the Tuesday edition of On the Line. And as promised, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us on the Tuesday show. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are you? We're doing well, and there's no shortage of news today, of course, as the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 Alliance has been officially announced. I wanted your takeaways on this and maybe what we learned today from this mysterious alliance that has been officially announced now. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't know a ton about it because it doesn't sound like there's really anything to it at this point. I saw people talking about how like they nobody signed a contract. It's like this like agreement, uh, kind of like this informal agreement between the the three conferences, and there's like no telling when it's going to go into effect yet, and. It's so weird to me because it's like, 
you know, you're banding together to stop the SEC from running wild on you. And I get that. I understand that. But you also have to, like, give us something. Like, what is this any different than, like, well, we're just going to, you know, vote with each other on on major issues and we might schedule a few more games with one another and kind of get on the same page with scheduling. I mean, other than that, it's this is really just kind of like, all right, cool. Like, uh, let, let us know when actually something happens uh, with it because, I mean, as of right now, you know, not only is it a situation where you don't have any, you don't really have any, like, clear, uh, you know, objectives or you know plans at this point secondly it's like well if it's not a contract what's keeping the sec from posting somebody what's keeping the sec from going in and, and trying to take a clemson or a florida state or you know what's to stop uh you know another conference from trying to get you know better moving forward so it's it's a really weird thing and they can't even tell if the big 12 is going to be a part of it or whatever so yeah i i think i think it'll just be one of those things where it's a lot of bluster because uh, they had to feel like they feel or were doing something in light of what the SEC was going on, but I mean, until we see some actual like progress made, I, I really, I really don't know. I really don't know what I'm supposed to be looking at here. And we were discussing this a few minutes ago, and just kind of want to get your thoughts on this. What do you think happens to the Big Twelve? Do you think that they're actually all unified in their approach? And, and honestly, there's no way to know. But do you think that they all are are, are together on trying to stay? to stay up or do you think secretly all looking at their own interest? I think, I think some of them, you know, might want to hang together, but I think it's gotta be every school for themselves. I mean, they're the, the problem is, is the eight that remain don't really have a whole lot of, you know, selling uh, power, I think in, in terms of what they can provide a conference um, outside of maybe Kansas, just because Kansas basketball is a huge deal. Uh, and it's probably a bigger deal than some of these places, you know, football programs. But, like, yeah, I mean, uh, joining the AAC would make sense and try to beef up that conference. Um, there's already some, like, former Southwest Conference members in there with with Houston and SMU. That would make a lot of sense. If I'm a team like West Virginia, I'm going to try to see if there's any way that I can um, find myself in the in the ACC or the Big Ten. Um and you know, if I'm if I'm any other the, the, these other schools, I, I look at maybe the Pac-12 kind of saving you if you if you don't feel like uh, you need to be hanging around with with everybody else. So uh, I'd be surprised if they all go in the same spot because that's just eight teams that you're picking up somewhere, and honestly, not all of them have something to offer. Some of them are just kind of like, okay, they're there. Like I know everyone loves Iowa State right now because their football team's really good with Matt Campbell. Um, but, I mean, this is a program that, you know, in, a, in, a, in an athletic department that doesn't really offer you much outside of, okay, they've been good for the last couple of years. Switching gears to Auburn footballs, we're speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Justin, the second scrimmage happened this past weekend. What are some takeaways from it? It sounds like from talking to some folks, and of course people are going to make it completely overblown, but some people out there would say that the world is ending. So <laughs> what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise to hear that the defense, had, uh, you know, really dominated that second scrimmage. I think a lot of people want to see a little bit more progress from the offense, but I also think, you know, you're not full strength on offense right now. You've had some absences. You've had some, you, know, you, you haven't been able to kind of put the whole thing together. And so you don't have a starting five set on the offensive line at that point in the scrimmage. They wanted to do that afterwards. And I think just the defense just has a clear idea of what they are going to do heading into the season, who their top guys are, whereas on offense, 
you're still figuring some things out, especially up front and out wide. Um, you know, the offense wasn't at full strength and the fact that, you know, guys like Tank Bigsby and Sean Travers didn't get a lot of run out there. Um, so, I mean, it's just kind of the up and down stuff we've seen and heard about from the offense where they, they, they can look good in practices and they can, there's, there's some big plays happening and there's some moments where the offensive line looks good. But, you know, when you're, you're going up against a defense as good as Auburn's, it's supposed to be this year. When the bullets start flying for real, I mean, it gets it gets challenging and difficult, and there's a lot of room to grow. So, you know, I, I wouldn't hit the panic button. I mean, it's not like Auburn needs to be in, like, giant killing form right now. They've got two warm-up games against Akron and Alabama State that will get them ready for Penn State. Um, I think what happens there means a whole lot more than what happens in a scrimmage. Um, but I think the most important thing for Auburn is, is, you know, coming out of that scrimmage, they should have gotten the information they wanted and what they needed um, to set a depth chart to, you know, focus in on, okay, here's what our game plan is going to be for week one. Here's who we're going to rely on moving forward. And uh, if they did that, if they were able to accomplish that uh, on, on Friday, you know, no matter who looked good and who looked bad uh, on what side of the ball, I think that's the more important thing. I think that's the thing that they were really hoping for. And, um, you know, uh, I think I think people are going to want to see more progress from the offense, but it's going to be a work in progress. And all of those things things combined, you would expect any rational Auburn fan to go, okay, yeah, the offense is going to be fine, but there are still people out there on social media. I mean, like, it feels like Facebook and Twitter have been on fire for about a week right now, at least in terms of Auburn Twitter. Is there any legitimacy to the quote-unquote quarterback battle that could potentially be going on behind the scenes? Is TJ Finley or Demetrius Davis, are they making any sort of push in the scrimmages? I mean, they, those guys are having the kind of the same things that that, that Bo Nix has had, where it's had really really good moments, and some really not so good moments, and and you know, Nix throughout camp has been the first guy out there for the most part, and I think as we've gotten deeper into it, they're playing a little bit more of the reserves, um, so you might be hearing a little bit more about guys like Finley and guys like Demetrius Davis, but you know, I, I would be shocked, stunned, even if uh, if. You know, Auburn didn't start Bo Nix in week one against Akron. I think that's, that's you know, Finley has not come in and proven without a shadow of a doubt that he's the best option for Auburn at quarterback. Um, you know, that's what it's going to take to knock a guy like Bo Nix off that top spot before the season starts, right? You have to prove, you know, that's a bold thing to make whenever you have a two-year starter you unseat him for another guy. That one guy's got to really, really show – that the offense is at its best when he uh, is at quarterback. And to this point, I don't think you've, you, you've seen that yet. I don't think you've, you've heard that yet. But that doesn't mean that T.J. Finley hasn't done some great things in, in practices and scrimmages. It doesn't mean that uh, he's getting some more reps. It doesn't mean that you know, Bo Nix is, is you know, flawless by any means. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just you know, it's a push, it's a challenge, it's a battle, but it's, nothing has kind of suggested to me that this is like, you know, Bonex is in any imminent danger of losing his job. Taking a look at the COVID-19 situation inside the Auburn program, and it was announced last Friday that Brian Harson he had a statement saying that he had tested positive for it. How much of a role do you think the coronavirus is playing in Auburn's preparation for the start of this season, or do you think that they've got a pretty good uh, they've got a pretty good contingency plan at this point? What 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 do you know about it? 
Yeah, I mean they've 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 been down certain guys. Um, I you know I think it's very clear to point out that you know there's been a lot of talk about vaccinations and and, and you know not people not being vaccinated and and the and the controversy there. But uh, there have been people who have tested positive at Auburn, um, including Derek Mason, who you know were already vaccinated. So I think it's one of those things where. Um, you know, vaccines are important. Vaccines will, you know, knock down your, your likelihood of, uh, of, of contracting and spreading uh, COVID-19. However, this is something you're just going to have to deal with, um, you know, even if you are vaccinated. And I think that's one of those things where it's just a, it's just been a reality at this point that, that Auburn is having to deal with. You know, this week is a real big test for them. You know, your head coach is not out there in person with you. Now he's doing the best he can with, with Zoom and, 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 you know, doing remote stuff and, trying to stay involved and you know the 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 thing with the thing with brian harson is that they were planning for this they were planning that just in case something like this would happen um they had a contingency plan in place why josh manning is stepping up to the position coach uh spot or from the to the head coach spot from position coach spot and letting mike bobo and Derek mason continue their work as coordinators there's a reason for that and and you know so this didn't this this wasn't something where they were just having to like you know oh we weren't completely prepared for this at all but i will say it's not an ideal situation anybody can 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 see that and secondly i think the absences have made it a little bit tougher for auburn to be at full strength uh in certain positions in fall camp which has kind of led into some things where people are a little uneasy about what they've been hearing about certain groups or certain uh, sides of the ball and and so I think this is something that's going to have to keep keep going on, right? You know, Auburn's not 100% vaccinated. They're not close to being 100% vaccinated. Even if they were 100% vaccinated, that's not a total guarantee that this issue is just not going to be something they have to deal with during football season. Now, um, whatever their vaccination rate is, I don't know about it, uh, you know, an exact number. Um, but, you know, it, it's at a point where it's like, okay, well, this is going to be something you're going to have to deal with. Uh, this season and, and be ready for it and so um, this is just a big test right before the start of the season and something that I think will just keep going into the season where uh, it is something they're going to have to do their very best to make sure another uh, outbreak doesn't happen and uh, they can be at the best they could be um, you know each week and then have everybody available. I want to take a look at the preseason All-SEC coaches team that came out about half an hour ago. Tanks Bigsby, first team running back Nick Brahms, Jacoby McLean, Smoke Monday, Anders Carlson on the second team, and then Bo Nix, Brodarius Ham, Owen Papo, and Roger McCreary on the third team. Any major takeaways uh, from the guys that got selected? Any snubs? Why is Owen Papo on third team? That's ridiculous to me. What are your thoughts, Justin? Yeah, I think it's a, it's kind of a stat thing, right? You look at it, knowing Papo, talent-wise, he's he's one of the best out there. And and I think when you look at the linebackers in this league, uh, Alabama's going to get a lot of respect always. And Arkansas's got some severe, like pro- highly productive players, uh, you know, coming back this year at the linebacker spot. And so you get a guy like Zacoby get some love, and you look, and then Owen doesn't have the same stats last year. And so I think that's part of it. I think that's part of one of those things that kind of gets knocked down a little bit with a guy like Owen. But I think my big takeaway is this. Once again, Auburn has some of the most, you know, all SEC picks of any team in, in, in the SEC. I think they're third most. And, you know, most of them are second and third team guys, and that's okay. Uh, but I think it goes to show you this. It's like this is a talented football team. This is a team that's not getting a lot of love in the preseason, um, you know, from the media, from the coaches' polls, whatever, because there's a lot 
lot of wait and see about Brian Harson at this point. Like, all right, is this thing going to work? Uh, is, is he going to be able to go into this conference and make it happen? Um, so I think that's just another proof of it. He's inheriting a team that's got some really good talent, but when you're changing systems and you're coming into this league as somebody from the outside, a lot of people are kind of in wait-and-see mode and see, you know, all right, is, is he is he going to live up to the hype? So I think that's just another thing about it is that if Auburn can, can, can get clicking early and really, you know, Brian Harson can put his stamp on this program and show, okay, this is what Auburn football is going to be like, and it's successful early on. Um, this team has enough talent to turn some heads this year. Uh, that's what that's what those uh, all SEC um, you know teams kind of show you. Uh, but also, I think when you compare that to where they are ranked in you know the the polls and and in the preseason uh, the preseason predictions, I think it's just a sign that uh, a lot of people are uh, are just kind of looking at Auburn and trying to see if it's all going to work, especially when you have the schedule that Auburn does. Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Uh, check it out. We did a uh, thing today uh, kind of breaking down the true freshmen because I don't think they've quite gotten enough attention this offseason because of all the transfer talk, uh, just kind of ranking them and, and where, uh, you know, how likely they would be to, to, to get early playing time uh, this year. Um, you know, had a, had a big breakdown on the offensive line situation for Auburn. I know a lot of Auburn fans are interested and what's going on there, uh, especially coming out of that scrimmage. Um, and, yeah, we'll have more podcasts this week. Brian Harson speaks tomorrow. We'll have something on that Thursday morning, have, a, have another podcast on Thursday, and uh, more coverage on Friday and Saturday's open practice. So there's going to be a lot of stuff at AuburnObserver.com. You, show, you go there, uh, put in your email, sign up, $6 a month or $60 a year, and everything we do gets sent uh, straight to your email inbox most mornings. So check it out, AuburnObserver.com. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good rest of this sunny afternoon. It seems like every time we talk to you, it's raining. I hope you enjoy a good, beautiful (laughs) afternoon, my man. Appreciate it. Y'all too. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We wrap up hour number one when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up our number one here, we're going to take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, it's the third quarter finals of America's Got Talent on NBC at 7. Also at 7, but on Fox, five teams remain in Lego Masters with the competition heating up on a new episode tonight. Some movie selections for this evening. Bohemian Rhapsody is on FX at 7. The sequel to the first Kingsman movie is on FX Movies at 6.40 with Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Tom Cruise stars in Edge of Tomorrow at 6.45 on IFC. If you want to watch the same movie over and over again, watch Edge of Tomorrow. It's pretty much two hours of the same thing, and then they finally go and do something different at the end. If you watch it tonight and you've never seen it before, you'll know what I'm talking about. Matilda is on Freeform at 7 as well. In live sports, the Little League World Series is on ESPN at 6.30 with an elimination game. Following it at 9, the Major League Baseball is on with Los Angeles Dodgers taking on the San Diego Padres. MLS All-Star Skills Competition on tonight as well at 8 on FS1. And that is what's on TV tonight. Lance, you ever seen Edge of Tomorrow? I have not. Uh, I've heard about the movie. I've heard about like the concept. I've never actually watched it. Watch about the first 20 minutes. Come back in about two hours and then watch the end and you've seen the movie. There you go. Yep. You, may, you may not have missed anything. Dang, and turn right. Belichick's getting a kick out of it. There you it's go. It's true though, isn't it? 
<laughs> is it a bad movie? It's pretty good. It's just like Tom Cruise relives his same death over and over again. I feel like I actually have seen that now that I think about it. I feel like, I feel like I've seen it. But um, in terms of what I will be watching tonight outside uh, outside of Edge of Tomorrow, going to be exciting to see that uh, Padres-Dodgers matchup. That's been a fun one so far this year. So Padres just let their pitching coach go. They're reeling a little bit, trying to salvage a playoff spot as well. And the Reds in a similar position as well. I know they didn't let go of their pitching coach, but they're sitting at fifth in the division, or not in the division, fifth in the Damn. in the overall playoff standings. They are the last wild card team, but the Braves had their winning streak last night snapped by the New York Yankees, and they're going to have to fire it back up. Man, shame, shame on me for getting that wrong by one game. Shame on you for getting it wrong by one game. We were right there in the middle. We were right there in the middle, and neither of us were able to get it right. We got a couple minutes here left before Wait, we. Go I should. I just realized I should have used my um, my flow chart. I should have just used that and gauged out how many games the Braves were going to win. Man, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I do okay, that? Okay, well, let's do that then, because neither of them are SEC teams. Right, right. Move on to the next one. Which team do you like more? Right. I would assume the Braves over the Yankees, the so Braves, they would yeah. have kept winning anyway. Yep. You would have been even more wrong. Dang. Dang. <laughs> Usually works. You you wouldn't have been right until they played the Cubs. Usually works. Or you wouldn't oh, have stopped uh, until they played the Cubs. Yeah, the they, Braves uh, would, have won like, <laughs> until they would have won like 100 in a row because they don't play the Cubs till next year. Well, I guess, I guess we could have gotten to the question, though, like for for a different team is like do you play in a tougher conference or in this case division and once you play the giants or you play the yankees i, I think once you play the yankees you get the l yeah yeah so much tougher division i'm not i'm not completely partial to atlanta i do like the cubs a little bit better so who knows maybe i would have come into that yankees braves matchup and i i could have been i could have been right had i used the flow chart properly let's say that i could have been Got a couple minutes left here before we get out of here for hour number one. I want to revisit each of Auburn football's storylines in fall camp and assess the team's progress. We don't have a long time to do this, but just a brief a brief wrap-up here of some of the stuff that we've seen so far after that second scrimmage and how far we think this team is from being where they need to be at. Yeah, so some of the things that we were looking at heading into the scrimmage were, were offensive line play, figuring out the starting five guys, uh, better decision-making from the quarterbacks, improved mechanics from Bo Nix. Wanted to see how this defensive line looks, see if they were able to get a little bit of pressure. We knew this defense was going to be good heading in, but my goodness, have they been borderline elite, <laughs> at least in the situations that they've been put in against uh, the, these, these uh, first, second, and third team offenses. The quarterback play has not necessarily been impressive, at least not consistent to say the least there have been turnover issues every now and then uh it, they've been thrown into a lot of high pressure situations the offensive line is still taking time to gel the running game has not been really a factor not because it's not a factor but because the the uh the coaching staff's trying to put this offense in a lot of pressure situations and making them throw the ball uh, so the storylines that we were kind of looking at just kind of revolved around the offensive line, whether or not they would be able to improve and whether or not it would help this offense out. And it seems like so far during fall camp, it's not been the most consistent offensive output, and it's kind of hampered Auburn's ability to make progress on that side of the ball. That's it for hour number one of the Tuesday edition of On the Line, a fun hour number one. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We start off hour number two with making headlines, some interesting stuff around the sport today in college football and even into the NFL. We talk about that when we come back.
on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind, we want to hear from you. We're taking your calls and text here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Time for our Making Headlines segment right here. Lance LSU announced that all fans planning on entering Tiger Stadium must show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 PCR test taken within the last 72 hours. Interesting developments as they're the first SEC school to announce this. Yeah, and out of all the SEC teams, if I had to guess which team it would have been, Sting and I were talking about this before the show, it's like, probably would not have guessed LSU. Uh, it, nonetheless, though, I, I, I intend on uh, going to this game and I've seen already seen memes on Twitter of like, this is what Death Valley is going to look like. It's just a picture of the empty stadium. It looks like Bo Nick's got nothing to worry about, boys. But like, uh, in all honesty, I still think they're going to they're going to find a way to get 100,000 people in that stadium uh, one one way or another. So, yeah, I'm surprised that they were the first team to do it. Um, but I don't think it's going to affect their attendance numbers because, you know, people are, are, are going to either go and get vaxxed to, to watch an LSU game or they're going to go get a negative test. Do you think this is going to encourage folks to go and get the vaccination? I think so. I, I think that's the heart behind it. I, I think I think definitely it'll encourage some people to go and do it. Uh, it yeah, especially so. Especially if, the, if there are other teams in the SEC that start to do this, I feel like it'll encourage a lot of people in the Southeast to... Uh, to go and do so because a lot of people care about football. Do you think Auburn's going to go in this direction? So Alan Green, I believe, I might be completely wrong on this, but just a week and a half or so ago said that they weren't planning on doing it, at least at the moment. Uh, If they were going to do something, they would need to do it like within the next couple of days because you can't give right before the start of the season like, oh, yeah, we're going to be doing this. And then all these people that have bought tickets and they're just like they don't it it would jackal with a lot of things if they did it right before the season. If they're going to do it, they should do it now like LSU's done. For some reason, I have hesitation to believe that Auburn will do this. I know you guys said just a moment ago that you guys were shocked that LSU was the school to announce this and of course LSU does have a reputation sometimes for being a little bit more of a party school of course but you have to keep in mind one of the SEC's if not the SEC's leading expert on COVID-19 or lead expert on COVID-19 is a doctor at Louisiana State University so I'm actually not surprised totally by this that they were the first to announce this and I do think it's designed more than likely to encourage folks to get vaccinated I have a hard time believing that LSU will be anything less than full capacity when game one rolls around are we allowed to do an ed ogeron impression on air talking about how excited we, he is for for game well it's not going to be the first game of the week it'll be the second game right because they play at ucla so is it mcneese state that they're playing am i wrong on that i'd have to let me let me look but yeah uh i i i i can imagine it is mcneese yeah i i can imagine that this will encourage people to get vaccinated and i like you said at the end of the day i think they're gonna find a way to get people in that stadium and if people want to get in 
they'll they'll do the things required to do so the acc big 10 and pac 12 announced their alliance today let's go back to that what were your thoughts uh just uh, again i'm like you said it's the it's the move like it's it's like in chess where if like there's only one move on the board that doesn't get you that's not made in one it's the only move that you have to make it is the move to make they don't didn't really have a whole lot of other choices other than to band together and like justin said it's kind of an informal thing so there's not really a whole lot to to gain from it but there's a lot of fun that comes in speculating what could happen down the line and i think it's just it's inter- it's going to be interesting to see what develops, if anything, legitimate from this other than that they're just going to start playing, you know, they're going to start playing each other in non-conference play, and it's not going to exclude the SEC. Um, If anything, I think it's just a way to kind of try and continue to hold their footing in the college football world, like we mentioned in the first segment of the first hour. Uh, I can't take a a ton from it that's legitimate because, again, nothing's like truly set in stone. But at the same time, interesting to see what's going on. College football is changing rapidly. In an ESPN article written by Adam Rittenberg, and you can go check this out once again on ESPN.com, they say that sources told ESPN on Tuesday that the Pac-12 is, quote, driving this, which doesn't make me too worried because I can't think of a time (laughs) where the Pac-12 has made a decision where I'm like, Oh yeah, that that was a great move, or that really cornered somebody. Going with your chess analogy, I was like, oh yeah, that really changed the game, right? Like I, they were heavily that they made the wrong move alongside the Big Ten last year in not playing football and shutting down too early, right? And that hurt them significantly. And the Pac-12 has been an afterthought in the college football playoff discussion. They are as close as it gets to not being a Power Five conference before the big 12 was just dismantled by the sec like a lego set but prior to that they were as far off from that as any of the other conferences in college football that obviously has changed since so now when looking at the power four they are the least like the others right yeah when it comes to driving forces in college football so that's an interesting development in all this that ESPN in their article reports that the Pac-12 is driving this thing. Can I can I pose a question to you that we may actually have to save for a segment? It may take us a segment to answer this. Maybe not. Which do you think is more likely, Texas or Oklahoma to win the SEC, or which comes first rather, Texas or Oklahoma win the SEC, or one of the teams from the alliance wins a national championship? With or without expanded playoff, we can go both. So you're asking me which is more likely which comes first which comes first oklahoma or texas wins an sec championship or someone other than an sec team wins a national championship yes i think someone other than an sec team wins a national championship sure under both playoff systems yeah okay mainly because clemson's there right it's like we have to consider that clemson's in the acc and that and ohio state's in the big 10 and those two teams have won a national championship very recently and have been I just don't see. I just don't see it happening very often. I'll just say that. I don't. You see think it. an SEC team's going to win it every year? I don't think it's going to happen every single year, but I think that I think that it's pretty pretty likely that they're going to be in the contention for it if they don't win it. I Without just, a doubt. I mean, I, I think they'll be there, and I think they'll be putting a team more the more years than not in the title game. I'm just not sold that under the new system with 12 teams, where it's supposed to supposedly design more parity that 
the SEC is going to win more national championships just because they added two new teams. If anything, that extra competition could be something that attributes to attrition at the end of the year. Sure, sure. So, But it is an interesting conversation to be had, and the SEC is going to have at this point, and that's another thing going along with this and continue to dive into this, that's another reason why in, in some articles that I've read that the Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten joined together because they might want to put a limit when they talk about expanding the playoff because playoff expansion the the original model that we had this past summer before media days that's up in the air that they are putting that on hold because of all this stuff that's going on with conference realignment and now this joining of hands between the big 10 and the acc and the pac-12 this is for them to get a seat at that table and then to be able to drive discussion in that and i have read in some places that they might want to put a limit on how many teams can come from one conference. And that would kind of snub the SEC and being able to have half their league there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. I, I, I do think, though, at the, at the end of the day, like, I'm just such a big SEC guy that, you know, it's hard, to pick, it's hard not to pick a team from the SEC uh, to, win, to win a national title. I guess other than Clemson would be the exception, but... I feel like the SEC has got a pretty good hold on college football. A lot of people around here will disagree with this, but I, I have a difference of opinion, and you, and you may disagree with that, and that's fine. It's just what I prefer. I think college football is more fun when there is a lot of competition between each of the conferences. I haven't really liked any of what has developed in terms of conference realignment, even with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. I was not extremely happy about that when that news was announced originally. I like the fact that college football should be. It's not in terms of who's winning titles every year, but I like the fact that it spans 10, 11 different conferences and that theoretically anyone can have a shot if they can get the stars to align in their favor. And so I'm not a huge fan of the SEC completely dominating the sport. Like you said, on the chessboard here with that analogy, this was the move that they had. And I'm glad they made it. I just hope that they don't box the SEC out. What I would like to see, what I think would be better for the sport, is how about we all join hands and try and work together to make the sport better. And I know that's not the way that it's going to go because they're competing with each other and they're trying to outdo one another and gain the largest piece of the revenue pie that they possibly can. But unfortunately, the the game is not going to look like it does right now for much longer. Yeah, and like we talked about just a couple of days ago, talking about how you know we just we we enjoy the moments that we get on a random Tuesday Thursday night where we get to watch a Sun Belt a MAC game and 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 just see an absolute showdown between two teams that will not not matter in terms of rele- relevancy at the end of the season but it, it we, we enjoy having those games because it's part of the pageantry it's part of the tradition it's part of the fun of college football having those individual conferences kind of doing their thing but they're all together and so I, I'm with you while I, I do acknowledge that the SEC is they're they're doing well for themselves right now and they have been for a couple of decades I don't want to see the sport separate itself you know, it's it's not necessarily disappointing to see, but I I, I like what you said there. I kind of like it whenever college football's 10 or 11 different conferences. It's fun. And going back to something that you said in our first segment of our show today, back in the first hour, you said that the NCAA is over here, you know, writing in their, their own constitution and, 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 you know, sitting over there by themselves. And everybody's like, man, that guy is crazy over there, man. And they're just not listening to it. They're not playing by the rules. You compare college football structure to the NFL. One has a 
and, and I'm not saying that Goodell's a great commissioner here, but one has a lot of power at its core to drive things in the league and you actually have a governing structure that has some teeth to it and can actually enforce decisions made across the league. Now, sure, there may be just 32 teams in the NFL, but there is a governing structure there that enforces whatever mandates come from the top down. And those are voted on by owners and whatnot in the different teams. But in the NCAA, it hasn't been like that for quite some time. The, the NCAA has not been the driving force between these conferences' decisions. These conferences have been acting on their own interests for the last decade. And this is where you get to when they say, man, we're not playing by your rules. We're doing whatever we want to do, and we don't even care. And that's how you get to where you're at right now. Because there was no central authority on this yep there was no checks so so my and i don't i don't necessarily think i've not really developed this take i've not really thought about it much but uh could we see down the line without an organization like the ncaa college football not necessarily fall apart but it just it it not it it fall apart without an organization like that just kind of holding everything has it not already happened right yeah has have we not already began to see the the thread pulled out of the fabric like, is it not already loosening a little bit? That's how I feel. That's that's my perspective on it. It's like I, I think that we've already began to see the the loosening of the fabric and it's starting to come apart you a mean, little bit. You mean even with an organization like the NCAA behind everything? Or you say we've already we're already broken away from it? We have not fully broken away yet, currently in our in this moment in time, but we are heading in that way. That is my takeaway from it. The NCAA doesn't have any teeth. What does the NCAA do? If I asked you this question, broad question here, if I asked just the general person that follows college athletics and I asked them, what does the NCAA do? We would have vastly different answers from everyone. Sting. What does the NCAA do, Sting? Punish Missouri for cooperating with any investigation. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. (laughs) I mean, they hand down arbitrary punishments based off of investigations that they that they put together right and it seems like they play more of a role in all of the other sports and and then and then also in the lower tiers of college football like division two and division three and even in the fcs level but like college football fbs division one college football is its own thing and then the power fives like doing their own thing too right they're not really paying attention to the ncaa and we know that football is the driver in these sports so at the moment when football, when that moment comes that football says, we out, we're doing our own thing, deuces, right? When they leave, when that happens, basketball and all the other sports will have to follow as well. Yep. So, I, and I think we're already getting there because what can the NCAA actually do? They're not checking any of this. And, and as evidenced, what, what we were talking about with the NIL, they couldn't stop that train. They got whipped in the Supreme Court. They lost. Like they they literally were, were were stripped of any power that they had on that topic uh, of concern this this off season. They also have traditionally been latching onto these transfer rules and what and whatnot. That was changed. Like all of these major issues that the NCAA has been so dug in on, they they're now in full retreat. What 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 do they even own on this? imagine this as a risk board right what do they even own anymore that is of significance don't tell me madagascar because that's only going to give you one troop per turn (laughs) 
They, they, they have nothing. This is like the end game of Monopoly when everybody else has got houses and you're just repeatedly landing on stuff. And then you're shelling out the cash and you, and, and you know you've lost, but your friends are mean and they're making you sit around and watch it because they want to win. Like th- you're, you're, you're the first domino to fall, right? That's how I view the NCAA at this point. And would you say college football at the end of the day will be much better off without the NCAA? It depends. Or do we need the... Do the, we learn from our mistakes? Right. Do we need these uh, power conferences to kind of form their own thing? You know, I would like to see if these power conferences do one day break away. If the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and SEC form their own college football, a, a, a doubled version of the NFL, right? So 60-something teams, however many that would be. I think you're looking at somewhere around 64 teams at that point. Whatever it would be, and that's like the doubled version of the NFL, and that's the major version of, of football that we have outside of the NFL here in the United States. If that happens, I hope that there is a stronger central authority than the NCAA, and I hope they make better decisions than the NCAA did. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. But that brings me back to the question that you just asked me, and I'll respond with a question. Will they actually learn from the mistakes of their fathers, right? Like, will they learn from the mistakes of the past to improve college football? And that I I don't think we'll know until you get there. Yeah, I agree. I was about to say I'd hope so, but again, we won't know until it actually happens. But it's a frontier right now, man, and everybody's fighting for their own interest, and it's a scramble for territory, and you can clearly see where the lines are drawn. SEC against these three conferences but as Justin Ferguson pointed out earlier on in our discussion with him back at 2 30 on the show and if you missed that conversation it was great insights go and listen to that on our podcast as he pointed out it's not the strongest of alliances either it's just kind of an informal verbal agreement that only goes so far at some point these teams are going to be like there might be a disagreement that comes up look at the geographical and cultural implications of where these universities are, are located you've got 14 Atlantic Coast Conference teams with 14, or excuse me, 12 Pacific Coast teams. Those two portions of the country are vastly different. They're literally on opposite sides of the country. Exactly. And ideologies and philosophies and cultural implications, vastly different between those two leagues. Then you got the Big Ten in in the center that even in its framework, there's a lot of differences between the individual institutions in the Big Ten. You've got the the more agricultural areas of Indiana and Iowa, and there's different cultural implications there and interests that they have put up against more major areas that like Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State that have a massive amount of student population are a little bit more urbanized than those locations in those states. I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of diversity in the Big Ten as well. They're going to have a hard time deciding on something that works for everybody. Yep. And that I go back to, once again, without a strong central authority, this is how you get where you're at. Everybody divides up into factions, and I don't think that that's good for the game. No. <laughs> and, and the small schools are like... What are we doing? <laughs> they know that they can't do anything. Like They just have to sit there and watch everything burn. And the, you know they're going to have to play their hand, that, that the hand of cards that they've got is as best as they can moving forward to try and stay afloat and... I wouldn't be shocked if they have their own version of football one day, right? Like, there will always be a need and a demand for it. It's just, what does it look like for them? And they, they a necessary part of a lot of their athletic budgets is buy games, and I'm sure that that will still exist because SEC and Pac-12 and power conference teams, they need teams to go and beat up on. That's in demand. 
There's only so many Vanderbilts in this in this league, right? Yep. You know. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we get into our game by game predictions for the SEC. We give you our official thoughts on the league coming back. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama on 98.3 FM. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're taking your phone calls here on this Tuesday afternoon. Text line at 334-564-1840. Tease this pretty much all show long. Going to give our final predictions on the SEC for the standings. We're going to give you the records as well just regular season i didn't pick a conference title game champion i just said regular season at the end of week 14 week 15 whatever it is this is what the records are going to look like and this is what the sec standings is going to look like going into the postseason so i did it game by game on the schedule that's not how we're going to approach this we will give our we'll give our teams in order of finish and we'll say kind of general statements about how their team goes we'll give a prediction about if you want to mention who you've got them losing it to it's so difficult to do it game by game because you may predict that one team's going to beat another team that team actually ended up losing that game but then they lost another game and you still got the record right so it's nothing ever goes according to plan in college football so there is some margin for error there but the records and the standings is generally is generally what matters here and we did a game by game approach to get to that point so lance let's start it off which division you want to do east or west uh let's do east first i think we can get through that one pretty quickly because there's a legit hierarchy there and i think you and i actually have the exact same sec east maybe not the same records but is it the exact same sec east in that order the exact same sec east and we are off by literally one conference game for one team so and i have a feeling i know what that is well we'll start at the top I've got Georgia going 12 and 0 and 8 and 0. I don't I don't have them losing a single game in the regular season. Most of the guys that they've got out right now, Kyrus Jackson, Jermaine Burton, Eric Gilbert, all of those guys that are hurt right now, they're expected to be back according to Kirby Smart by the time that week one rolls around that none of these are significant injuries with the exception of course of George Pickens ACL injury that came back in the spring. So George is expected to be at full firepower. I've been talking all offseason about them beating Clemson week one. I expect them to do so. And if you can beat Clemson week one, I look up and down the schedule. I don't see him losing another game. Shout out to former intern Dylan said that he felt as of right now, this was just uh, two or three weeks ago, that he felt like Clemson was favored by three. That was before the rash of injuries. I've got Georgia at the top 11 and one, eight no in the SEC. I've got them losing that game in Charlotte. I think this Brett Venables defense is going to be able to speed up this game, going to be able to put JT Daniels in a couple of uncomfortable positions without a whole lot of receivers to really work with that are at least 100%. Uh, and I, I do think that Clemson wins a close game. But Georgia takes care of business, runs the table in the SEC. I don't really see anybody stopping this team, especially once they're fully healthy. Is that the one game that you and I deferred on? Uh, no, it's not. Oh, okay, so one conference game. All right, well, I've got Florida finishing second in the SEC East, as do you. Curious to see what your record is for them. I've got them at ten and two, six and two. Two teams I've got them losing to is Alabama and Georgia. Other than that, though, what I really like about this Florida team, it's more of a trust in what Dan Mullen is able to do 
with his quarterbacks I think Emory Jones is still going to be a good quarterback do we have enough information on him at this moment to know that he is going to be a great passer of the football no but Dan Mullen has been really successful about building his offenses around the strengths of his quarterbacks he's had a lot of different ones also think you see this defense improve this year a lot of guys did leave off that defense but what's great is they bring back a ton of that sack production last year that finished at the top of the SEC with Alabama I think that pressure that they have coming from up front helps these DBs do their job a little bit better the major concern that I have with with Florida is their ability to stop the run but I do like this front seven a lot and I think it gets them to second in the east nine and three five and three in the SEC for me Florida uh loses to Alabama LSU and Georgia okay in my opinion I think they go on the road and they lose to LSU which that you could flip that either way I, I, I would not be mad if you said Florida went and won that game but not a whole lot of production in terms of starters coming back but I do agree with you I think that defense is going to get much better I think we see some cool things out of Emory Jones I don't think he's going to be the best quarterback in the SEC but I think his dual threat ability is going to lead to a lot of different flashy plays I think he's going to be a fun quarterback to watch this season and this Gators team is going to I feel like going to be like I think it's going to be entertaining third in the east you and I are going to agree here as well Kentucky and I've got them finishing nine and three five and three you look at the middle of their schedule they have a stretch of games where they play Florida LSU and Georgia all in a row I've got them losing all three of those games I had a really tough time with the Florida and LSU games but I'm still erring on the side that I don't trust Will Levis I think he's going to be better at passing the football than we've seen recently from Kentucky quarterbacks but I still don't think he's quite there with the pressure that he will face from both of those front sevens in terms of sack productions both of those teams will get after and make him uncomfortable he's going to have a hard time even at home against those two teams I see Kentucky losing three games but finishing third in the east I wish my quarterback would get on TikTok and eat a banana with a peel on it like that's the type of leader I want in my quarterback all right I've got Kentucky doing the exact same thing nine and three five and three with losses to Florida LSU and Georgia like you mentioned I agree with you I think Will Levis is going to be able to get this offense going it's not going to be elite but it's the game manager that they've been looking for I don't think we have enough time to go through the rest of the East here the the sting is about to play but when we come back from the other side of this impending break we will take you through four through seven of the SEC East as well as flip over to the SEC West we're going to try and get through all of these predictions before the end of the show today once again it was jam-packed we were overflowing with information we'll be back Thirty minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going through our final predictions for the SEC in 2021 for the standings here and then their records as well. We've gone through the top three teams of the SEC East up to this point: Georgia, Florida, and Kentucky. Now we're on to four through seven, and at fourth, you and I both have Missouri at seven and five, three and five. Missouri is a team that during the offseason I think that there has been some love for but at this point the team that has that has been able to override that is Kentucky Kentucky seems to be the clear dark horse team out of the SEC East and after examining both of those two squads I do like the easiness of the Missouri schedule but I still fall back on I think they're just average on both sides of the football I don't know how they're quite going to be able to get past some of the difficult teams on their schedule such as Texas A&M I even see them losing to Arkansas at the end of the season I think Arkansas 
will be playing for a bowl game at the end of the year and they'll be able to snatch them up it was a close game last year I think Missouri is going to be better than they were but still average yeah I agree with you I have them losing to uh, I, the the exact same record seven five three and five in the SEC I have them losing to Kentucky Texas A&M Georgia Florida and then on the road to end the season at Arkansas I agree with you I think Arkansas is going to be desperate I think they're going to be playing for a bowl game at that point and like you said it was a really close game last year I think that's going to be a fun one to watch you know you talk about the rivalries in the SEC and it was a question that was brought up to Eli Drinkwitz at SEC Media Days about how excited he would be about potentially like rekindling some actual rivalries with Texas and Oklahoma and stuff like that. And he was like, I don't know about y'all, but I, I really care about this rivalry against Arkansas. Like it's a lot of fun for me and it's a lot of fun for our kids. And I can't remember the last time they, they, they beat us, which, uh, which was kind of funny. But in all seriousness, like, it's a good rivalry. Like for for middle of the pack in the SEC, that's a fun game. It's going to be a fun game this season. But like you said, I think they're average on both sides of the ball. I think at some point this coaching staff can elevate them to the point where they're above average. I think their recruiting right now is reflecting that. I think they're recruiting right now above their weight class. I think they're doing some really good things for the future. But for this year, with a sophomore quarterback and a defense that I just can't put all of my trust into, I think seven and five is fair. Looking at Tennessee after that at fifth in the SEC East, I've got them going six and six, two and six. A big chunk of losses in the middle of the season that is going to put them in desperation mode at the end. They'll be four and six going into the last two games of the season. South Alabama and Vanderbilt, they beat those two schools to get to six and six and two and six in the SEC losses to Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, Alabama, Kentucky, and Georgia. And honestly, if they don't take care of business, the, the key game on this schedule for me is Pittsburgh in week two yep that game is all important for this team being able to make it to a bowl game it gets real extremely early for Tennessee yeah I I, I'm pretty sure in terms of record like for these for these last couple of teams in the SEC East we have the exact same thing Uh, I I have them four and six going into that South Alabama Alabama game as well and I think they pull one out uh, against the Jags and I think they do beat Vanderbilt to end the season six and six two and six a lot of it, though, does hinge on that Pittsburgh game. That's a 50-50 game in my mind. It's going to be really, really tough for a team that only brings back a combined seven starters. Uh, it, that offense is going to score points, though. Like I believe that offense is going to do well. It's just whether or not the defense is going to be able to, to hold its own in an SEC that's, that's progressively trending towards passing the football a lot and just being offensively strong so it's going to be interesting to see how Heupel uh, handles that but I do think in year one he manages to get these volunteers to a bowl game South Carolina at six take me through that South Carolina at six four and eight one and seven in the SEC you know this team lost right now at least it seems like they've lost Luke Doty for either a good portion of the season or potentially even the entire season he's not going to be ready uh, at least from what I've read and heard for week one against Eastern Illinois. They're trying to figure out the quarterback spot. Kevin Harris is hurt right now. He may not be ready to go for that week one matchup. They've got a lot of injuries on both sides of the ball that they're trying to trying to get through right now. And it's not looking good for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks because you move down the line and you get past the first two games of the season against Eastern Illinois and on the road at Eastern Carolina, which is not as easy as a game as some people may think, especially if that quarterback situation is still up in the air heading into week two. But you get down the line and the schedule just gets tougher and tougher and tougher. I mean, you get through a stretch where you play Troy, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, 
Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Texas A&M, and that's not really tough. But then you look at November, Florida, at Missouri, Auburn, Clemson. There are just a lot of teams on this schedule that I just believe that are, are, are better than South Carolina. I don't think they're going to be able to move the football a whole lot. I think Kevin Harris is going to be able to do his thing. But, man, oh, man, this team is I – don't, I don't think they're going to be great this year. I think they're, they're definitely in a rebuilding stage, and this year uh, I don't see how they, they, uh, they managed to get to a bowl game. Vanderbilt, last place. Vanderbilt, last place. I mean, this is not, this is not necessarily shocking. Um, you and I, throughout the offseason, have debated whether or not Vanderbilt would actually able to be able to make that push for, for uh, next to last in the SEC East and maybe leave that spot to South Carolina. But yeah, I, at, the end, at the end of the day, you know, until they get their numbers back, which <laughs> I'm kidding, until the, the players get their numbers back, you know, I think this team is going to be well under bowl eligibility and – it, it's just tough. It's tough to find wins on this on this schedule for a team that only scored a little under 15 points a game last season. I know uh, Ken Seals is, is is going to improve. I just don't I just don't see in year one Clark Lee making a huge step forward. They're going to get close in some of these ball games, and honestly, if at midseason they beat South Carolina, watch out because that Mississippi State game following it, they beat Stanford in week three, watch out. I think Vanderbilt's got some opportunities, but that's the, that's the big trick there. Can they actually get over the hump in those games that they've been traditionally losing? It's going to be extremely difficult for Clark Lee. Yeah, for sure. And and like you said, some of those, a couple of those games, South Carolina, Mississippi State, even Missouri at home could potentially be a game where you could see a, a Commodore team that's desperate at that point of the season. But uh it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of issues on both sides of the ball that I don't think can be remedied in year one I think it's going to take some time take me through the SEC West SEC West starting at the top Alabama I have them 11 and 1 7 and 1 in the SEC I do think the Crimson Tide lose a game this season Uh, it took me a long time to try and figure out there were three games that I had in mind about games that they could potentially lose and at the end of the day I think Alabama is going to lose, and Nick Saban's going to lose to a former assistant for the first time ever. I think they lose to Texas A&M on the road. I think that's happening this year. I know I said a few days ago, everybody wants to hype up that matchup, saying that it's going to be competitive, it's going to be legitimate, and every single year since 2012, Alabama has gone in there and either blown them out or handily won. They've won. They've gone in there and they've won. They've 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 controlled the game. Alabama quarterbacks since 2012 have been dominant uh, against Texas A&M, but they're trying to break in a new one this year. Before that, uh, before that game, they play Miami at Florida and Ole Miss. They'll potentially have already faced three top 25 teams, and they are going to have their fair share of struggles. I believe in those first three games, you're going to figure out what this Crimson Tide team is about. I think Texas A&M, with their really good defense, can start to form a plan on offense, and if they can be efficient, I think this is going to be an ugly game that that A&M uh, comes out on top of my question is and, and I don't want to break this down for too long you're going to see how low I have A&M in my SEC West standings I think I think A&M is going to be the team that everybody was terribly wrong about at the beginning of this year and there typically is that one team that everybody's like oh yeah this team's going to be really good really good it's like a lot of times when Auburn's in the top 10 people were terribly wrong about them I mean you go back to 2018 Auburn started in the top 10 and what guess what they finished seven and five go to Music City Bowl terribly wrong right I think A&M's kind of looking at that type of season this year I'm not hot on the A&M selection there I would have been better if you had said Florida or Ole Miss in that group because I think they have the points to score 
I'm curious about that defense. Al- teams that try and beat Alabama defense, they don't because look at the final scores of the teams that beat them, 39-29 in their last five losses. That's what the, the average score is. And so a and I'm concerned that the defense will drop off in that game because the offense won't be able to do anything. I just have such a hard time trusting the true freshman to do it. But then again, Bama's got a true freshman at quarterback. So I appreciate the hot take. You and I have vastly different opinions of A&M when you look at the standings here. I've got Alabama at number one in the West. I think they go undefeated in the regular season. But I'm not mad at saying that they will go 11-1 and and lose to somebody on here like a Florida or an Ole Miss because they've got the points to do it. My reasoning for that is you look at it they haven't had back-to-back undefeated regular seasons in several years or it's been a little while like since 2009 was the last time they did it before last season that they went undefeated back-to-back in undefeated regular seasons i just undefeated period i believe that i I can go check but last time last time they went undefeated after since 2020 was in 2009 did they not do it in 2012 against uh, uh the year that they beat notre dame no they lost to johnny manziel in texas oh that's right wow that's a long time so like it's like that even shows you how difficult it is to achieve that so like i'm with you on on them losing a ball game i'm not mad at it but when i was going through game by game i was like they are better than every team on this schedule somebody's gonna have to upset them of course but second on the sec west lance well (laughs) it's texas a&m and uh i know that a lot of people may disagree with this take uh, it, it it was really, really hard for me to to gauge the middle of the pack in the SEC. It's really tough. It was really, really tough. I went back and forth. I was like, well, maybe LSU will finish second. Well, maybe Auburn will finish second. But at the end of the day, I think the pieces around Haynes King are going to be able to get it done offensively. And then I think that defense is going to be top five, top four in the SEC. And I think they're going to be able to go out there and get it done. But, but... I do have an upset loss on their schedule. I think that they lose to Arkansas in week four. I think that game you and I have talked about. What about has, Auburn? Is it, that not an upset loss in this in this scenario? I think Auburn's going to be able to do to do enough to where that wouldn't wouldn't be as big of an upset. I'm not going to okay. qualify that as like a oh. You're going to say they're pretty evenly matched. Yes. I do actually have them losing to Auburn, believe it or not. What's the A&M record? 10-2, and 6-2 and two in the SEC. So they lose to Arkansas and Auburn. Yes, those wow, are the two. Wow, that sounds like NCAA football kind of stuff where they beat Alabama. And I'm talking about the video game, beat Alabama, but lose to some really head-scratching games right there. Right. So the the Auburn game, less so. I think that Auburn's going to be – at least the product they put on the field is not going to reflect their record. I just don't know how A&M goes from losing to Arkansas one week and then three weeks later beats Alabama. I think they've got the pieces to do it at home. So you think it's just Arkansas massively overachieves? Yes, okay. in just one game spontaneously. I truly believe that. Second in my SEC West, and I said this back at SEC Media Days, I'm still sticking to my guns. I'm going to go with Auburn to finish in the second of the SEC West. This was on my media ballot. I'm sticking with that at this point. I, I, I feel better about saying that Auburn is going to go 9-3, but when I'm going through the schedule, I, I do have Auburn in my predictions going 10-2, and 6-2, losing to Georgia and Alabama. I go by game by game. I think Auburn beats Akron. I think they beat Alabama State. We've talked about the Penn State matchup and how Auburn, I think, fits really well against what Penn State does poorly. That's subsequently what matches up against what Penn State does poorly. Auburn does really, really well. I think that that's going to be an extremely defensive ball game. But honestly, 25 points could be enough to win that ball game. And Auburn tends in non-conference play to do really well 
against their power conference non-conference foes they really do you look Malzahn was able to succeed against it and I think this is a game that Auburn's going to be preparing for for several weeks considering you get the two cupcakes prior to it whereas Penn State does not get that opportunity they've got to focus on Wisconsin right out the gates and I think their season's going to be ended up getting messed up right away losing to Wisconsin and then they're going to have to be focusing on themselves in week two with their next opponent make sure that they win that ball game I only think Penn State's going to get about a week's worth of preparation against Auburn whereas Auburn might get several weeks to focus on Penn State I think Auburn's going to be really prepared for that ball game beat Georgia State 4-0 I don't know how you go into the LSU game not being confident about winning in Baton Rouge with this new coaching staff and how detail-oriented they are I think that's another game that's circled on this schedule that this coaching staff knows they need to win because they understand the history behind it and you and I have talked oftentimes about how we think this team could start out going five and oh and then you got the Georgia game after that I think Auburn starts it out five and oh I think they lose to Georgia and then after that I think they beat Arkansas Ole Miss those are two teams that Auburn's still more talented than they don't lose to those two teams at home they've got five game winning streaks against them those are two teams that Auburn owns the series against owns the series I don't see them losing those two ball games. Then you go to College Station. Auburn wins in College Station traditionally. I think Auburn's every bit as good. We've broke down these teams, and we'll break down the other teams in these standings. I just don't see Auburn losing any of these other games other than Georgia and Alabama. I have them losing to to LSU, and LSU is third. What happened? Etu Brute? You were with me. I, I was, and but, but in terms of f- official predictions... I don't want to get my hopes up too much. I've got the I've got all, I've got Auburn going nine and three, but we'll get to them in the second. I've got LSU finishing third in the West. So I've got LSU. I or I've got them uh, ten and two, six and two in the SEC with losses to Alabama and then A and M at the end of the season. Um, I, that Auburn matchup, I went back and forth on like for for a very long time. Uh, to, to but I just don't. In year one of Brian Harson, I think nine and three is where I'm at. I'm just one not, way or another sure and and I said there's margin for error with this like breaking these down game by game you might think that they're better than this team but then they lay an egg and they find a way to lose right so nine and three may sound really appropriate I want to talk about that Auburn LSU game because I've got LSU third in my standings again nine and three five and three I don't trust Max Johnson I don't trust anything about this LSU football team not one bit there's a lot of distractions around the program Max Johnson had a sub 60 percent completion percentage last year that doesn't give me confidence that he's going to be able to perform well against good defensive backfields. And Auburn's got a great defensive backfield. I think Auburn's going to be able to get pressure on him. The LSU offensive line was not a great pass-blocking offensive line last year. I see Auburn's defense being able to thrive in Death Valley. I just don't know about Auburn's offensive ability to be able to score to those parameters. But I said, you know, if they were able to do it at Penn State, why not LSU? And so that's why I took the win there. The reason I said why not L- uh, why they won't at LSU is just because of what's happened for the last 20 years. I, at some point, it has to end, though. It does and have to end. And it seems like this year, it's ripe for that to happen. And it, it's very, very possible, but I just think 9-3 and three is where Albert's at one way sure. or another. And if people think I'm crazy on this one, which I'm sure there are some people out there, and there's two people in here right now that think I'm a little out there but i know you don't but don't, the other yeah. two interns are like man what's wrong with you and i know jacob hillman's out there somewhere saying six and six is what's going to happen but i just look look at the history first year head coaches come in here and they do really well i just i'm not i'm not on this narrative that brian harson doesn't know what to do the guy is so detail oriented he's football 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 i've been very impressed 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with it. I'll say you know what if I'm wrong I'm wrong. They go nine and three, eight and four, or something like that. I said that was the floor all off season. I don't think they do worse than eight and four. They may not hit ten and two, but I'm gonna go out there and say that they do it. And then LSU at three at nine and three, five and three, losing two on LSU schedule. I got them losing to Auburn, Florida, and Alabama. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we wrap up our predictions. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We've only got three minutes left in the show, so I think it's better if we table these SEC predictions to tomorrow to give the, the due time needed. So we'll go back through the SEC West tomorrow on the show and break down four through seven, which is going to have some hot takes there from me and I'm sure some good stuff from you as well about Ole Miss, A&M. You've already got A&M. Ole Miss, I want to see where you've got them tomorrow. Arkansas is going to be a fun team to discuss tomorrow. So we're going to go back through the entire SEC West tomorrow. But we had a spirited conversation during the break. That's one way to put it. That is one way to put it, and you're wrong, okay? (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) That is intern sting behind the board. And we were discussing which would you rather have from this new coaching staff because we were talking about how trends are going to break it was kind of spurred on from saying that for me saying that Auburn's going to win in Baton Rouge it's a new coaching staff new ideas new philosophies new philosophies it's very un-Auburn like what Brian Harson's hire was it was very different outside of the box for me I think that means that you're going to see trends broken I don't I don't know if Brian Harson's going to beat Alabama as much as Gus was able to do because Gus did things that Alabama just had a really hard like that was Alabama's kryptonite Auburn's Auburn's spread system when Auburn had the talent to beat Alabama those nine win Auburn teams because intern Belichick brought up that Alabama will have beaten a nine win Auburn team for the first time under my predictions Nick Saban more specifically right (laughs) I think that's going to uh, the the dynamic of the Auburn Alabama rivalry may change for a little bit here on the onset because I think Auburn's reverting back to a little bit more of an old school brand of football where you're trying to line up and beat the man in front of you it's not the the you know cloak and dagger tactics of Malzahn anymore where he might be able to scheme his way to a win I think that's going to change but that brought up the conversation which would you rather have would you rather beat Alabama every few years but still be sprinkled with eight and five every so often like Malzahn was doing or would you rather have the Georgia type of run where you're going to be 10 and 2 almost every year but you may not beat Alabama at all those are your two choices and intern Sting says he would prefer to have mediocrity most of the time but beat Alabama every other year or not every other year but just you know every every two or three years <laughs> I mean when you when you, when you put when, it when like you, that but that's what it is it though may, that is what it is I know it. I would rather have and, and here's the thing if you want to get to the point and Sting uh, or Lance I want to know your thoughts on this too real quick because you, you didn't chip in during the break I think in order for Auburn to get to the point where they can consistently have recruits that are needed to beat Alabama on a regular basis, you've got to get rid of the mediocre seasons, the 8-5 and five every other year. Because look at what's happened to recruiting now. It's a joke. It you're, is a punchline. Right. Yeah. And so Auburn's recruiting has to get to that point. The only way you do that is if you establish some consistency with some 10-2 seasons. Lance, before we get out of here? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I'm, I appreciate I'm right there that. With you. And, and it's not about recruiting. Alabama. Yeah. Sting's rolling tide behind the board, and I'm not for it. <laughs> Never. No, but... And, and Georgia, Georgia's recruiting is elite too, but they can't beat Alabama, so that is a good point. I mean, I don't know. Yet <laughs> they were all—they almost did it back in seventeen. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. This conversation will continue. <laughs>